Therein lies the challenge of trying to find that right combination of the data analyst and the brand marketer. <laughs> and it's very easy to get swaying to one side or the other based on what your current needs are as a business. When you're just starting out, analytics drive everything. And that can sometimes cost you the long-term impact on your business by damaging the brand. So you have to have those two hand in glove working with each other and understanding the importance of each other for not just the short term, but the longevity of the business. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 35. On the show today, we have Mike McDivitt, who's the co-founder and CEO of Terra's Kitchen. Terra's Kitchen is a meal prep company out of Baltimore, and they are sweeping the country right now. Kind of like Blue Apron or Sunbasket, they ship ready-to-cook meals to your door. And they're founded in 2016, but they already have a run rate of 20 mil a year. Pretty phenomenal. Their business model is really unique to the industry, which allows them to offer up to 60 different meal choices at a time. And they're set up where they're not they're not trying to reinvent grocery. So it, it allows them to focus heavily on customer acquisition and retention, which is primarily what you're going to hear about more from our interview with Mike today. Now, in this episode, you're going to learn how to growth hack digital advertising without sacrificing your brand, why analytics should be your marketing team's best friend if they're not already, how to make sure your marketing dollars are used as efficiently as possible, and so much more. Mike is an extremely savvy marketer and an outstanding businessman, and you'll have plenty to learn from his approach to growing Terrace Kitchen. So let's get after it. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Mike, welcome to Food Marketing Nerds. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me on the, uh, the podcast today. So can you tell us a little about yourself and Terrace Kitchen, how you got started? Yeah, man, I'd love to. So uh, Terrace Kitchen is a business in the world of e-com grocery heavily focused on the meal kit space. So I uh, had the idea for the business back in 2015 when my wife and I found out that we were going to be parents. And I had this desire to kind of recreate the nostalgic uh, family dinner that I had with my family back when I was a kid. However, my wife and I are both very busy individuals. So I want to try to find a way to make dinner more convenient. Yet at the same time, kind of meet the way that my wife and I like to eat. We're from the health and wellness industry. I spent 15 years in the health and wellness industry prior to Terrace Kitchen. So we created Terrace Kitchen as a business that allows us to ship all of the ingredients to your home to have you make a healthy and delicious dinner for you and your family. And uh, every meal we deliver to you goes through our nutrition profile. And we got about 55 to 60 different meals available at any given time. So it allows you to kind of pick the way that you want to eat. That can be paleo, vegetarian, vegan, etc. So uh, the business has been up and running now since March of 2016 on a national platform, and we're having a blast doing it. And so how, how big are you guys now? So as a business model, we're about a little bit over a $20 million run rate after our first year in business back in March. Wow, that's some exciting growth. Yeah, it's been fun, man. It's, uh, I think it's definitely a desire that people have. I mean, e-com itself has really turned every other retail industry upside down over the past 10 years, and groceries kind of that last standing retail store that due to logistics, never really got touched too much by e-com, but the world of logistics has evolved at light speed over the past five years, and uh, the game has changed. Yeah, it's, it's completely changing, and I think testament to that is the fact that Amazon just purchased Whole Foods, which is insane. Quite the news to get this morning uh, driving into work. That is extremely exciting. I think it is amazing for everybody who's in this e-com food space uh, to give that credibility of something like that, which is just a juggernaut of two brands getting together. Uh, that gets me really excited. And so kind of tying back into your your nutrition background, 
How has that been transitioning more into the position of a, a business owner where you're growing a, a completely different company that's from your background? What, what's that transition like? Yeah, so it's been it's been kind of uh, easy for us in the sense that I mean I started my career in the world of private equity. I was up at the Blackstone Group in New York, and I left Blackstone to take over an at the time very small health and wellness business that was in the weight loss and health and wellness space. And this was a business that had been selling its products to doctors for 20 plus years. And in 2002, we decided to make the shift to move it from that of a wholesale to doctor's business to that of an e-com play to sell the products, which was food, bars and shakes, et cetera, to sell those products directly to the end consumer. So we started utilizing direct response marketing, digital marketing, et cetera, to make it a B2C business. And that is very relevant to what we're doing here at Terrace Kitchen. So 15 years of being in the nutrition space kind of taught me a lot about the world of nutrition, but I've always been running e-com direct B2C businesses in the space. Okay. So you did have a pretty substantial business background. You've got the, you know, your metrics, you get the finance side with private equity, and then uh, you've got that direct to consumer side with the, the last business. What are some of the, the most important learnings that helped you grow Terrace Kitchen so rapidly? Um, I would say relevance is extremely important. In today's world, you have the ability to target your advertising to such a specific degree that it's kind of a shame and all the competition is going to be relevant. So you have to be very knowledgeable on who your customer is and targeting directly at that consumer because every dollar spent not towards them is kind of a wasted dollar. And in a competitive market space like the meal kit space, I just don't have the time or luxury to have wasted dollars. So relevance has been a a huge lesson for us. Uh, Brand awareness is always something that while it's difficult to have at a young age of a business because you're small, I think finding a way to utilize the brand awareness of others that are having success in the space to help elevate your brand awareness, kind of a rising tide philosophy there. Uh, That's been a great lesson learned for us as well. So the pioneers in this space have really helped companies like Terrace Kitchen have the ability to be successful because they created the uh, the consumer awareness for this new meal kit space. And so when you you mentioned leveraging the success that the other pioneers of the industry have had, can you speak to that point a little bit? Sure. I mean, um, we find ourselves to be a bit of a different product. I think ourselves versus our direct competition there are really three core attributes that we have as our differentiating factors. And I think that's a necessity to be able to stand out in a space like this. So we really do target and highlight those special attributes. And for us, it is number one is convenience. We're the only company out there that is currently shipping pre-cut ingredients like onions and peppers and such. So we're able to cut our cook time down from what is an hour on average by our competition to roughly about 25 minutes for Terrace Kitchen. So convenience is key for us, and that's a big differentiation. The health and wellness is another big difference. Um, our competitors, because of the complexities of being vertically integrated, they can only offer maybe five to 10 different meals at any given time, which is gonna be tough to kind of meet the, the eating requirements of people and the desires of people. So by Terrace Kitchen having over 55 meals available at any given time, all of which have been through our nutritional profile kind of a filtration process, uh, we're able to really hang our hat on this nutritional and variety aspect that a lot of other folks can't. And then there's the, the point of environmental waste. So uh, this is a space, along with all this e-com business, that generates a lot of waste from packaging and ice packs and butcher paper. At Terrace Kitchen, we actually ship our product in a reusable vessel. So your product shows up at your door, 
you unpack the vessel with all the food, you put the vessel back on your front porch, and we take it back and use that same vessel well over 100 times. So you have literally zero waste affiliated with our product. So really hitting on those three core differentiation aspects when we look at ourselves compared to our competition is the uh, the main way we separate ourselves in this competitive market. That's interesting. And I one of, so full disclosure, I, we are subscribers to Sunbasket, which I've to be completely honest, I've thought about canceling one because <laughs> it takes so long to to actually prep the meals, and two, there is just a ton of waste with the with the, the shipping containers that they send it in. And the most inconvenient part of it is we live in a in a big complex with a trash chute that the box is too big to go in the trash chute, so it's always the biggest <laughs> hassle. So that I think that's a, a really smart point of differentiation. Thank you much, man. I'm actually, to be in full honesty here, I started as a consumer of all of my competitors. I mean, I did not get into this. I didn't plan on getting into this business. I was uh, running a couple other companies in the food space, and I had those same three irks with uh, all the competition that kind of caused me to say, if we can find a better way to do it from these three aspects, then I think we've got something special. So cutting down cook time, adding the nutritional and the variety, and then also reducing waste. When we found a way to do it, it took us about a year from 2015 till we launched in 2016 to be successful with it. But it seems like the consumers are really taking uh, appreciation of it. What was it like laying the groundwork? And when you first came up with the idea to when you actually press the button, okay, we're launching and going live, what was that process like? Uh, it's, I mean, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I'll be honest. You know, I was able, I'm lucky in the sense that I have working with me at Terrace Kitchen my entire C-suite that was working with my former business. So I've got the same team that I've worked with for over 10 years back around the table. And it's about a topic that we are all extremely passionate about because we are all kind of living in that same point of life where we are raising our families and creating something that helps us get around the dinner table. I was able to hook them back in with passion and then the excitement of kind of getting the business up and running. Uh, that's what we love to do. Uh, but in all honesty, the danger of starting from scratch is the fact that there's so many possibilities. So it took that kind of hitting ourselves with a sledgehammer over the head and finally saying, okay, let's get started. We could go from product version one to product version 200 before we're ever actually live. Let's stop trying to perfect this and let's just get in the market and let's let the consumers tell us what's working and what's not working. That's when we finally just pulled the trigger back in March of 2016. We weren't totally ready. Uh, we knew we were gonna have some, um, some faults, but it's been able to correct those faults at a rapid speed. That's kind of the secret of making it work. Yeah, and I think that that lean startup methodology is is a really, really smart and tactical approach, which clearly it's working out for you guys. What was the data that you were looking at to base your decisions off of, whether to continue on a path that you're down or to maybe pivot and, and uh, try something new? So we're constantly looking at innovation of what else we can do. We knew that meal kits were a very hot space. I mean, this is a market that didn't exist four years ago. And uh, the two major players in the space are already doing close to a billion dollars each. So we knew there was a wave of desire from the consumers about this particular product line. But at the same time, we got into this knowing just from my history of working with grocery stores that it was going to be very difficult to have a viable business model simply offering the fresh meal kit product and that we were going to have to expand that product line in order to obtain the margin we need to really grow a viable business. So ever since launch, it's been this combination of focus on what is driving the train right now, which is the meal kit space, but at the same time, keep an ear to the consumer about what else they want 
And then how do we provide that in a fashion that is not confusing to be a different brand or a different product, but just something that really fits well with our offerings. So we've continued to test different products and how we present them to the consumer and how they can purchase them. And I really think that's going to be the, the biggest make or break for us as a business and the industry as a whole is how we begin to widen this offering to make it something that is more than just a meal kit convenient product for the consumer. You guys have a, a unique business model compared to the other guys in the space, which I'd love to hear more about in in a second. And I'm also curious as to just the the supply chain side of it, how you guys are able to deliver a meal kit that's unprepared, well, slightly prepared, but still delivers and stays fresh in time for the the consumer to use it. Yeah, so it was uh, it was kind of just myself doing some research and digging around prior to launching Terra's Kitchen. I was looking at all the other companies that have just exploded in this space, be it the Blue Aprons, the Hello Fresh, the Sun Baskets, as you mentioned, and it was uh, it I made it made sense to me. But all of them seem to have utilized the exact same business strategy, which was to raise capital, to grow a regional infrastructure, to prove the business and the regional infrastructure, to then go raise more capital and then create a national infrastructure. And it worked very well for the first ones that did it. So everyone else kind of jumped into that. But as I started looking at it from a 10,000 foot view, I was saying, okay, food is not new. The infrastructure to support food is not new. So why is there a need for all of these companies to build this infrastructure? And what I found was that there was uh, several national infrastructures that are already in play who are best in class who have been focused strictly on a B2B model. So these are the companies that procure all the fresh food and then resell it to the grocery stores. So as opposed to them reselling to the grocery stores, I thought, why wouldn't they just partner with Terra's Kitchen and we could become their B2C play? And that's what we did. So uh, I befriended a company in the industry who was heavily focused on kind of shifting the mindset of these food juggernauts from B2B to B2C. And Terrace Kitchen simply plugged into an infrastructure of an already national company that already had a significant amount of inventory available to them. So we were able to go on a national platform at a very fast pace with really minimal capex required. But I think more importantly, we didn't have to learn the industry that is fresh food to the degree that the other competitors are having to learn it. Fresh food's a very complicated business. You're dealing with a very short shelf life, which is very high risk inventory. I prefer letting the experts who've been doing this for over a hundred years handle the food and let Terra's Kitchen do what we do best, which is really understanding the consumer base, acquiring that consumer base, and then providing them the best experience possible. So we took a very different route than all of our competitors, uh, which is what allows us to have this larger variety and uh, what allows us to have a national infrastructure at a faster pace. And uh, we're super excited because we've made some great relationships in the world of supply chain by doing that. And I, I think that is a massive advantage when it comes to, to scaling and profitability and it clearly speaks to your business acumen. So you. You, you get to focus on the customer acquisition side and, and understanding your, your customers. So when it comes down to that, when you're, you're looking into customer research, how are you guys gauging or getting a good pulse on, on who your customer is and what they really want? Sure. Well, we're still young. We're about, what, 14 months of being out in the marketplace. So what you learn in the very beginning of going live is what are the right customers that are going to respond to your advertising. Uh, The longer you're in business, you have the ability to learn who are the right customers that are actually purchasing your product. Uh, There's nothing more expensive for us as a young startup business than a customer that only orders our product one time. 
because we had to advertise a good amount of money in order to acquire them. Uh, and we really have a business model that makes money only when the customer reorders from our business. So we've been heavily focused on both the advertising side to acquire the right people, but then incre increasing that relevance of who we're advertising to based on what we can learn every month as we have more data coming to us on the lifetime value of our customers. So constantly turning our message to kind of be relevant to those consumers who are proving to be the best long-term consumers for us, while we are constantly focused on figuring out why some consumers stop ordering and how we can help them uh, kind of overcome whatever challenge they had to have them continue to reorder. So acquisition and retention, no surprise, are the two biggest focuses for us. And so I'm curious on, on both of those points, as far as customer acquisition and drilling down into the data of who is your your best target customer is this social media ads digital display ads how are you guys getting in front of your your target customer yeah sure so uh, we do utilize kind of every different arrow in the uh the direct response advertising realm so of those different arrows that will be your digital your print your television your radio etc Digital is uh, by far because of how young we are uh, and have the ability to be so targeted. That's our most popular way of spending capital right now in the advertising realm. And of the digital world, the social media world of the Facebooks and the Instagrams thus far has proven to be extremely successful for us. Uh, but what you do learn is that digital alone has to have a matched level of brand awareness in order for consumers to be successful on not only ordering but reordering. So constantly, you know, trying to find that right balance of the direct targeted ad at the consumer who's been to our site or uh, searched a certain term that's relevant to us. But at the same time, you have to constantly find ways to grow your brand awareness. And when you're young, that's a, that's a tough thing to do because it usually takes serious dollars to do that. And I think it's interesting that you put a, such a heavy emphasis on brand awareness for existing customers through a subscription service. So what are you guys doing to actually achieve that brand awareness and uh, why, why would you say it's so important even for a subscription-based model? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, where, where you show that it's extremely important is in the capability for you to look at the consumers that searched your specific brand that then came to you and purchased your product versus those consumers that might have searched something generic like meal kit or grocery delivery that purchased your product. And you just see that those who are searching for you specifically for whatever reason of how they saw it turn out to be just much better long-term customers. So how do you not break the bank and grow your brand awareness while at the same time you know the most targeted and highest ROI immediately on your spend is on those direct digital advertising ads. Uh, it's a combination of many things. I mean, it really is. It's about trying to infiltrate a certain market to a high degree and not trying to go too wide. It's about using things from the organic world, such as the PR and uh, our own kind of grassroots materials that we do out there. So we try to get into a market, penetrate that market, and incentivize people inside that market to help spread the brand word for us. Uh, well, all the while, we're following behind that with a strong digital advertising campaign. So as far as as the shipping goes, when you're, I mean, you're, you're shipping these perishable packages that are, are, are not small packages by any means and refrigerated <laughs> shipping a refrigerated packages is, isn't cheap. So how do you manage that at scale? The beauty about our model is that the scale should be rather simplistic in that we have chosen to partner with the uh, rather large organizations in the world of logistics, such as the FedEx's and the UPS, and our, 
our product partner in the world of fresh food, I mean, the other customers that they're servicing are the multi-billion dollar grocery stores. So scale should be something that should be relatively easy for us to be able to do. How do we as an organization continue to grow our margin to make our business model more viable? Uh, That really comes down to our ability to drive volume. Uh, When you're dealing with a plug and play model, very different than your vertically integrated model, volume drives discounts. So by being clear uh, on how our volume is going to grow, proving that growth by more efficient advertising and a better customer experience, and then utilizing that growth to go renegotiate our contracts, be it from the food and from the, uh, the shipping carriers, that's, uh, that's how simple our model can be. Kind of moving back to, to the brand awareness and, and uh, delivering a good customer experience, I, I see on all your your social channels and on your website, you guys are a content machines. You're putting out a blog post almost every day, a, a few tweets a day, pretty consistent content. Can you speak to that a little bit? What the, the, the strategy or thought process behind the strategy of putting out all this content on, on the website and through social is? Sure. I mean, as, uh, as everybody knows out there, content is king in this world. And the more that we can get out there and the more that we can learn from what we put out there about what's working and what's not working so we can put the gas pedal down more so on what's working. That's really the theory behind what it is we're doing from a content standpoint. Because we are young, get a lot out there, but don't look at it as successful of just getting content out there. It's not about having had 100 blog posts or 100 Instagram uh, posts. It's about which ones worked, how did they work, why did they work, and then learning to change what it is you do more. So. Uh, and we, we find it's that classic 80-20, 20% of the content that we're putting out there is driving 80% of the success, uh, then how we can find to continue to do more of what that is and then find the next 80-20 of our current 80-20. Uh, so driving it out there is one thing, but constantly looking at the data that it provides us, therein lies the, uh, the capability to really scale the business. And you bring up an interesting point with, with analyzing the data of your, your content, which I think it's it's definitely something of interest to me and a lot of other business owners who are very active on social media. How do you measure the effectiveness of your social media efforts? So many ways. Um, I couldn't speak into the total details because that's what the team kind of focuses on themselves. But for the way we look at it, it's really about engagement. What did we put out there that caused a conversation to occur? Was it the conversation from our consumers? Was it a love or a hate conversation? There's opportunity inside both of those. So really just putting things out there and looking for what we did that caused engagement in that content and then trying to do more of exactly that. So really just you know, trying to make it a two-way street as opposed to just a constant outlay of material onto our consumer. And so are you guys pretty actively still engaging in, in email marketing as well? Huge. I mean, email marketing for us is uh, kind of the most important as far as that final touch point with the consumer, as well as for our lifetime value. As I always say, we, we are young and we're constantly trying to evolve. So our email marketing campaigns as of today, I think we're going to look back at them in a year and just kind of laugh because of uh, how wide they were and how unpersonalized they were. But getting that technology in place that allows us to be more personalized in our touch points with our consumer, largely from the world of email, huge opportunities inside that. And uh, we know the opportunities are there. It's just really on us to find the right time and focus on what we think are the biggest opportunities with the biggest bang for the buck to help have the best experience for our customers. So email marketing, while we are doing it, we're extremely active in it. We know we got a long way to go to get to where we want to be. Do you have a gauge on on what a What's the best practice, in your opinion, on how often email marketing or e-blasts should be, should be done? 
Great question. And uh, they, sorry, but there's no one answer for it. I wish there was. Um, but it really is going to depend upon the type of consumer you're talking to. Is it a current consumer of yours? Is it a consumer that came and then left that you're trying to get back? Is it somebody that's never tried your product but keeps sniffing around the site looking like they're trying to try it? Each one of those different consumers has a different answer to that question. But in all honesty, um, anytime your email to the consumer is not adding something of value, I think it's too much. So as you have to make sure you're constantly monitoring, what am I talking to this consumer about? Am I just filling his inbox to get the brand in front of him? That's one philosophy. That's one way to do it. But I think that's not going to be one that's going to be successful. So constantly looking for as long as you're adding value to that consumer by reading that email, then I think you're doing something that is correct. And I think adding value is definitely a huge buzzword in the the content space. And I, just going through your website and your blog, I can definitely see the, the tremendous amount of value that you guys are giving. For people who haven't seen it yet, which if you haven't, you should. I would definitely recommend going to, to Terry's Kitchen's website to, to check that out and see how it's done. But Thank you. what would you speak to, or how would you speak to actually providing value to your target customer? What, is, what does value look like in the context of Terry's Kitchen? Yeah, I mean, there's the the extremely relevant content of value, which is going to be about Terrace Kitchen and how to directly improve your Terrace Kitchen experience. And I think that's the easy way to add value. Uh, but I think there's so many other ways about the more you know your consumer, the more you know what it is they're dealing with on a daily basis, whether it's about food, whether it's about traffic, whether it's about education, just helping them sift through the millions of different data points that are out in front of their lives because our consumers are busy, they're educated. Um, how can you add value in any way to them about teaching them something they didn't know, helping to drive convenience in a world that they were, you know, uh, workouts, it could be education, nutrition, so many different things. Uh, we try to find the ones that are relevant to our direct consumer base and uh, add value in many ways. And Terrace Kitchen's the easy way, but little things like what we do from a recycling standpoint or gardening, anything really, uh, our consumers seem to have a really a lot of love for them. That's interesting. And I think for some companies, it's it's often a struggle of how do you actually promote the brand and build brand awareness without directly talking about your own product. But I think that you guys have found a, a good recipe for, for that. And we, we love, I mean, we partner with other brands that we believe have aligned values and have a similar consumer base. And we try to help rise the tide for each other. I mean, brands like Tessa Mays, Sir Kensington, Suja, be more organics. These are all brands that I think are doing amazing things in the industry. And here at Terrace Kitchen, we're not just a product, we're also a retail distribution point. We can offer these different brands a place inside our vessel shipping to the end consumer, but at the same time, we can just share their story. And I find that our consumers love to hear these stories. And how does that relationship begin? How do you engage a potential partner? It's either one of two ways. They reach out to us or we reach out to them. Uh, in all honesty, it's usually me shopping at a store like a Whole Foods, finding a product that I'm absolutely in love with. And if it kind of makes meets my standards of something I can't live without, I walk over to the PR and partnership table over at Terrace Kitchen's office and say, yo, I love this product. Let's find out if they have any interest in working with us. And uh, that's the, how most of them have started, just kind of my own personal infatuation with the uh, the product itself. So I, I, I just scrolling through the website, I, I saw that you guys have a, uh, a referral program that is interesting to me. So can you speak to that a little bit? Referral programs are kind of uh, a ticket to the game nowadays. And everyone has one. And I will fully admit it, Terrace Kitchen, we launched it because we know we had to have one. But it was not something 
that at the time we launched it was given the attention to educate our consumer base on that made it successful. So while it has the exact same offer that some other folks might be able to get at another company, our competition is driving 30% of their customer acquisition through their referral program. And at Tears Kitchen, uh, I won't say the exact number, but it's less than 5%. So we see this huge opportunity for educating our consumer base on our referral program. While at the same time, we wanted to up our game and have a referral program that was better than anything else out there we were familiar with. So as of this week, we actually were relaunching our referral program. It's always been out there, but now we're launching it with new technology that allows you as a consumer to have a, a dashboard to see who you've referred, who has bought, who has not bought, just to kind of keep you informed. You took the time to send our message out to somebody. We want to take the time to give you the message on how they're reacting to that. So super excited about it. Think it's got huge potential, but like any initiative, it takes the right amount of focus and uh, actions in order to make it successful. Now, we, we were kind of discussing the topic of, of data earlier, and I assume being in finance, you are probably a data guy. When you when you guys are, are looking at, at the data around the company, marketing and digital marketing in particular, what are some of the most important metrics that you're looking at and gauging for success? Data is how we live here. I mean, one of the first departments we built inside Terrace Kitchen was our BI team, our business intelligence team. And uh, so we have an ability to see to a, a very deep detail exactly what's kind of moving all our different markers. And that's in from the sales side as well as from the margin side, the ops side, the tech side, et cetera. So we love data. From the marketing side, you're going to have your classic things that you're looking at from cost to acquire, your CAC and your LTV, your lifetime value. And uh, while those are important, it's really about all the different nuances and all the different po data points that lead to them that are extremely important. And I think, you know, one of the big words a while back was the attribution. So back when I was first doing e-com marketing through digital marketing, you didn't have the ability to kind of see the history of a consumer before they got to you. All you kind of saw was the close itself. So I used to, once attribution came into play, I kind of called it our John Stockton to Carl Malone. I mean, John Stockton got a lot of credit for feeding Carl Malone a lot of assists. And in the world of marketing, I think we have to be just as you know, focused on what's causing the assist as what's causing the enclose. So whatever you can do to better understand the, the path of your consumer prior to coming to you, I think there's a lot of great insight in there. And when it comes to that, that first touch point of when you're attributing a sale to whatever it is, how is it that you're gauging that? I, I assume Google Analytics would help with that. Is there, is there anything else that gives a clearer picture? Yeah, sure. Uh, Google Analytics is great. We also utilize a platform called C3 Metrics, which is an attribution platform. Um, that's kind of, it's a platform that allows you to put everything into one spot. So you can kind of see the impact of all the different things you're doing, albeit television, PR, et cetera. So uh, that's been, it's been powerful for us. I think there's, there's so many tools out there. It's not so much about the tool itself as much as it is about putting in the, the philosophy in your business that it's important to you and you want to track it. I'm sure there's a lot of great attribution tools out there. I'm not familiar with all of them, but I think just making sure that it's important and then going out there and finding the right tool and just living by that one as opposed to being overwhelmed with all the different tools and all having a little bit of a different opinion, that's, uh, that's very important. Now, I, I think the, the job of, a, of today's marketer has really transformed with the rise of the internet. You've got all this available data, and then you still have the, the execution required on the creative side. So what kind of, uh, I'm curious as far as the, from a business operations standpoint, 
what kind of personality traits, skills are you working with and is, as far as business intelligence? Is it more analytical? Is it more marketing, creative focused? Yeah, therein uh, lies the challenge of trying to find that right combination of the data analyst and the brand marketer. <laughs> and it's very easy to get swaying to one side or the other based on what your current needs are as a business. When you're just starting out, analytics drive everything. And that can sometimes cost you the long-term impact on your business by damaging the brand. Um, so you have to have those two hand in glove working with each other and understanding the importance of each other for not just the short term, but the longevity of the business. So we do, we kind of design our marketing team from the different areas of brand and content and creation, almost like an agency itself that's internal. And then we have our e-commerce and our media teams, which are much more about analytics and making A-B testing and switching little things around from either technology or the looks. But they have agreed that they have to live within a 5% you know, kind of variance of what the brand book has described that everyone's going to live by. So it's a, it's definitely a handshake. It's definitely two different mindsets, one being creative and one being analytical. But when you can find the ones and you can get both of those teams aligned to the greater purpose of the company, which is we're trying to make a huge difference in this country by getting people back around the dinner table, you see a lot of people with different personalities can uh, find a way to connect. So it works for us. And I, I know you guys have really strong brand tenants with this bringing the environment around the table and really enjoying that environment as opposed to slaving away at a, for an hour and a half cooking a, a meal that was supposed to be is quote unquote <laughs> pre-prepped. No um, so when you're mentioning that 5% variance, what does that look like as far as, I don't know if it would be considered straying from the brand at that point, but adjusting to, to hopefully boost or hit the metrics that you're after? So it can be little things as far as stretching a little bit beyond the agreement we have on the fonts we're able to utilize or the color palette we're able to utilize. And if they stretch that 5% differentiation and they can show that it had a big impact for the positive, then they can come back to the brand team and say, hey, look, I know we agreed to this font, this color palette, but when I switched it to this, this is the response I get. Are we open to having a conversation about expanding what our current agreement is. And therein lies communication between the two different mindsets. And if they can understand how to communicate with each other and see that there is, the, these are the rules we're agreeing to play in so that we have some form of, uh, or some non-form of anarchy involved in the business, but we're open to doing what's best for the consumer base, but just let's do it through an analytical standpoint, not through the, uh, the subjectivity that I think often drives a lot of decisions. Well, Mike, I've been blown away by a lot of your answers, and this has been an, an incredibly insightful interview as far as using analytics and data that are available to really everybody and using it to actually grow and, and pivot when you need to. So appreciate all the, all the great answers. And we have, uh, we have three more questions that we ask each of our guests. So just looking back at what you've, the knowledge that you've accumulated over this past year since you founded the company, is there anything that you wish you could go back and, and tell your, your previous self to look out for or, or to teach yourself? For sure. I think the most important thing that you have to really, well, there's so many important things, but one thing that I believe for a period of time we, we slept on was uh, the accountability that's needed inside an organization and the alignment of what is the purpose of this organization and then how does each department align to that purpose in this organization and how does each a person align to their department 
and how that goes to the purpose of the organization. When we started, uh, I think that was very clear and everyone understood this is what I do, this is how it helps my department, and this is what my department does to achieve our overall corporate purpose and our goals. And then when, uh, when it goes live and it's insanity and it's kind of like that old I Love Lucy where the chocolates are flying down the line and you just get distracted for a period of about four to six months, we, we fell off of that simplistic tracking of everything everyone's doing and pointing it to the end purpose. And it took about six months for us to realize we were off. And then once we got back on it, it just changed everything for the better inside the business again. It was everyone was happy. Every, the communication started flowing. Everyone understood their purpose. Yes, it's stressful to grow at these current rates. But when an individual gets up from their desks and knows at the end of the day, I knew what I had to do today. I know how it helps this business. And I achieved that or I exceeded it. Everyone walks out of this office just with a much better mindset to have to do what it takes to be successful in this insanity of a startup world. So uh, we knew it going into it. We've done this before in another business, uh, but the the craziness of startup caused us to kind of forget it for a while, uh, but we were able to correct it. So I'm happy to say that we, we did get through that. Can you think of any piece of, of business or life advice that you've been given that has really stood out to you? Authenticity is so important. So really understanding what it is that drives you and not trying to fix the broken parts of you per se or the things that aren't as strong, but really just using your strengths and then finding ways for what are your weaknesses to be somebody else's strength to help lift the overall purpose of the company. Uh, I think all too often CEOs, whether it's their first time, second time, third time, there's uh, it's heavy, the head that wears the crown. It's tough at the top and often you got to think that you know everything and that's what you're expected of you. But it's really about not knowing the answers, but how to get those answers and uh, kind of letting yourself do what you do best. Now, are, are there any books or media outlets in particular that uh, that have really helped helped you on your career or um, really shaped the way that you approach business? Uh, there's been a ton of books that have helped me over the years kind of succeed. And the ones that I'm most adamant about now, funny enough, uh, I haven't read a, a business book per se in probably five to 10 years. I read a ton of them when I first got started. And I do think that it added a ton of value, but it seemed to me the message kind of started getting uh, redundant inside those. So now for me, it's more about communication and psychology and understanding how people think so I can help them better by understanding how they think and understanding how I think so we can not lose each other in semantics. So one book that I'm a huge proponent of, I give it to almost every employee that starts here at Terrace Kitchen is uh, How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life. And uh, it's by, it's, it's an interesting book on the psychology of happiness. And that's super important for me because, you know, we at Terrace Kitchen are about getting people back around the table to reconnect the community of the family, which is important. And I look at our employee base the same way. I mean, we, we want to grow an employee base that is just engaged and passionate from an authentic perspective of being here at Terrace Kitchen and letting them know that their happiness is as important to me as our success. And that is coming from the God honest heart. That's been, uh, that's been really powerful for us in helping to find the right people to join the team and then holding people accountable once they're on the team to, uh, to continue with that, that balance in life, not just the work. Okay, I'll definitely have to add that to my reading list. Cool. This has been a phenomenal interview, Mike. I sincerely appreciate you coming on and sharing all this information. Where's the best place for, for our listeners to go find out more about Terrace Kitchen? 
So Terrace Kitchen, you can either go to the app store and download our app, or you can go to the website, www.terracekitchen.com and check out all the different offerings we have available there. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mike. Thank you so much, Alex. Appreciate the time. Big fan of the podcast. And, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Hey guys, I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode of Food Marketing Nerds. If you're enjoying what you're listening to and want to hear more episodes like it, or you think this podcast is garbage and you're still listening to me right now for whatever reason, I want to know about it. Your feedback is super important to us. So if you could take 30 seconds to leave us a review on iTunes, it'll really help us to make more content that you're interested in and it'll get Food Marketing Nerds out there in the process. 